0: Amen. Amen. Well, I am so excited to be here today because I believe that the Lord has given me a word for each one of us today. I I could barely wait through the weekend. In fact, the whole last week, it was like, come on, is Sunday here yet? And, you know, I even, I, I don't think Todd is here But maybe he can be here in the second service because I believe the Lord has given me a word for him. But I want to talk today about sanctification. We're still in the Christian Life uh, series. And, you know, sanctification is a word that you don't often hear spoken of these days. I mean, it's a word that maybe even sounds old-fashioned. But you know what? It has great importance to us. You know, I could approach this topic in many different ways. You know, whenever Pastor Javier asks me to speak a word, I ask the Lord, well, what do you want me to do? You know, he gives me the topic that I say to the Lord, well, how do you want me to go about and speak this word? And there's many different ways you could do it. I mean, one way might be to make a list. I don't think that's effective at all. Like, here's the things you should do, here's the things you shouldn't do. I mean, maybe there's a place for that kind of thing, but, you know, that's really the job of the Holy Spirit. And I want to say to you this morning, I believe each one of us knows those things that are good in our lives and those things that aren't good in our lives. And if we don't, God's going to give us some clarity to us today. So I think every one of us knows those things that frustrate our walk with the Lord. So what I want to do today is illuminate why we want to walk in sanctification, why we want that in our life. And, you know, as I began to think about this topic, and I often go to this place whenever I'm preparing a word because I think it's so important, and I thought about how important it is to have a vision and to be somebody who can see in the Spirit. You know, the scripture says, and I I feel like I'm always quoting this scripture because it's so key to our life in Christ. And it's from Proverbs 29, verse 18. It says, where there is no vision, the people perish or they dwell carelessly. You see, there's something about being able to have our eyes focused on that which God wants to do in our lives. You know, if you think about somebody like Moses... You know Moses is a fascinating story. He didn't always do everything right. In fact, if you look at him, his first 40 years he spent in Egypt. That's a type of the world. I mean, he had a lot of different things going on there. He began his second 40 years because he murdered somebody. But you see, at the end of that 40 years, when he was 80, the scriptures are very clear about it. Sometimes we forget to look at the details. But it tells us that when he got to that point, there was a burning bush. And it says that he turned aside and he looked at it. You see, there's something that the Lord wants us to turn aside to today and look at. He wants to give us a vision of something that's going to change our life. And what's interesting is 40 years after that, when Moses died, The Lord spoke of Moses and he said, there's something very interesting about Moses, his eyesight never dimmed. You see, it's speaking about our spiritual eyesight. One of the things I want to talk about today is how important sanctification is in our life so that we can maintain our vision for a lifetime, so that we don't find ourselves like Eli, the high priest. Who couldn't even recognize the voice of the Lord when the Lord was speaking to Samuel? But it says his eyesight had grown dim. So we want to be those who take hold and see. We want to be those who never lose our vision. And I believe the Lord is going to increase our vision today as we begin to understand about sanctification. Lord Jesus, I just pray that you would be with us this morning, O oh God. Lord, that you would just saturate this place, Lord, with your presence, that you would give us understanding in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. First Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 4, it says that every one of you should know how To possess his vessel or his body, his life, in sanctification and honor. For God has not called us to uncleanness, but to holiness. And actually, that word holiness is the exact same word that was just translated as sanctification, same Greek word. So we're called to possess or take ownership of our bodies in sanctification and honor. So we have to understand, well, what is sanctification? Like I said, it's a word that you hardly even see spoken about, even though it's right there in the scriptures. Well, sanctification means purity or holiness. And so it says you have to possess your vessel in purity and holiness, and it says honor. Well, honor means to value or to esteem. I love these definitions. You know, there's a key here because the Lord says before you can possess your body in holiness and purity, you actually have to have right alongside it an esteem and a value for that which God has made you to be. You know, I believe many times we find ourselves in certain circumstances and situations that we know maybe are not pleasing to the Lord because we're not really valuing Who God has made us to be. And so these two things go hand in hand. Oh, that God would help us to understand our worth. And it's because we're of great worth. It's because we're of great value that we should live this life of purity and holiness. 2 Corinthians 6, 17 It says, wherefore, you know, and I love these words, wherefore. That means, look at the verse before. It's about to say something where we're going to conclude something, right? And so, the verse before says, you are the temple of the living God, that he dwells within you. So, it says, wherefore, because of that, because, I mean, how much greater value can we have? Except that we're vessels that hold the very presence of God. But it says... Wherefore, because of that, come out from among them and be you separate, says the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing. This phrase, be you separate, and I won't be doing this through the whole thing, but I want you to understand it again because it's not something we hear about a lot. But this phrase, be you separate, means to mark off from others by boundaries, to set apart. For some purpose. You see, God, I believe in the Spirit, is causing each one of us to understand the boundaries that He wants us to set in this hour so that we can walk in such a way that we can have His very presence, that we can be that temple that can carry the presence of the Lord, because each one of us has been called to a great purpose. I heard Pastor Dawn this morning when she was praying just hit a scripture that um, I was so excited about because I have the same scripture here. It's in John 17, 17. Because the Bible is a great key to our life of sanctification. John 17, 17 says, sanctify them through your truth Your word is truth. You see, we've got to get out of our minds that the way to lead a life of sanctification is to have a massive list of do this, don't do this, to have the spiritual police or the moral police telling you. I mean, countries do that. Like, oh, you wore the wrong thing, boom, we're going to whip you. No, that's not what it is. But it says here, his word will lead us in that. His Holy Spirit, it says, guides us in all truth. And so we know those things. And for me and for you, actually, some of these things may be different. Because God calls us and he says, make those boundaries. Set those things apart. Understand your value. Because there's something I want to do. I want to dwell with you. And I want to accomplish something. So we're going to look at his word today. Because it's the word that's going to bring breakthrough in the realm of sanctification. And the way I'm going to do that today is I'm going to look at the life of Abraham. Because there's something so powerful about looking at the life of Abraham. You know, Romans 4.16 tells us that Abraham is the father of all who believe. He's our pattern. He's the prototype. We can look into his life. And the way that he walked, the things that he had to go through, because he's the father of all who believe, we can look into that life and we can have an understanding of even those things that we're going through as well. So he's the example. He's the pattern for us. And so Abraham had to come to a place of sanctification, of being set apart because he had this amazing, great purpose. There were some boundaries. There were some separation points that he had to come to. Now, he didn't start out with those. I mean, it's very clear in the scriptures. He came from, of course, a heathen nation. He had no idea where he was going. All he knew was that the Lord said, okay, you're starting on this journey. That's how we are. It's not like, I don't know about you, but I did not grow up in the church. I had no idea. I had no clue of any of the different things and, you know, all, I didn't know the Bible, anything like that. That's how Abraham was. You know, it wasn't like he came with, you know, all of the answers right there. So I want to look at the process in Abraham's life. And so we're going to look at uh, Abraham's life in Genesis 12 and then we'll look a little bit in chapter 13 as well. So in Genesis 12, in verse 1, it says, Now the Lord had said to Abram, get out of your country and from your kindred or your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. You know, sometimes we feel like, well, I must not be part of this because I have no idea where I'm actually going. No, Abraham, same thing. He did not know. All he knew that God was going to show him where he's going to go. You know, I believe each one of us is also called to this out and to life. We're called out of something and we're called to something. The in-between part is kind of our Christian walk. So, he was told, leave the land, leave the kindred, leave your father's house. So I want to say right here, in type, we have to understand this in type. It's not saying you have to leave your family. That's not what it's saying, but it's saying you've got to leave the things of the past, the sin of the past, the habits of the past. Sometimes it can be relational. It can be relationships that are just not healthy, that are not, uh, those things that, uh, move us on in the path of where the Lord wants us to go. And so this work of separation is where many of us hesitate. And we see it's also a place where Abraham was tested. And so Abraham was 75 years old when this call came to him. So think about it. He's 75. People lived longer in those days. He's 75, but that's pretty old. And so he had to have had at least 70 years. You know, I'm going to give him till five years old. But after five, he now has 70 years of connections, of habits, bad habits, bad connections, certain things in his life. You know, I love this picture because I believe that the Lord uses examples like that. So we can say, no matter if you've had a problem for 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years. I'm here to tell you, well, Abraham had a problem for 70 years. He had situations that were so steeped in his life. And yet the Lord said, okay, it's time to go. It's time to leave all of that behind. So no habit, no issue, no, uh, nothing that you know, we feel is not of God that's in our life. It's too difficult to set aside even today. God's going to show us how we're going to do that. Because when God calls us to a life of sanctification, there is nothing that can't be left behind. And So we're going to see it. And so in verse two, it says, and I, God is speaking, will make of you a great nation. I love that. Okay. He didn't say to Abraham, and you, Abraham, will make of yourself a great nation. No, he's saying, if you say yes to me, I'm going to do this in your life. It reminds me a lot of when Jesus went to Peter and Andrew and he said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. You see, we're on this path like Abraham was, like Peter was, and I mean, we all know all the mistakes Peter made in his life, right? But if we say yes, and we keep saying yes, then God says, well, I'm going to do it. You know, there's a wonderful scripture in Philippians 2, verse 13, where it says, for it is God which works in us both to will and to do of his good pleasure. I mean, even if you're sitting here today, and I can't believe this would be the case, but let's just say for a minute, you're going, I don't want to give up all of that stuff. You see, the Lord is saying, I will even put within you the will to do it. And if you have the will to do it, it's God who's going to be able to give you the to-do ability in order that we can do all Of his good pleasure. I like that. I feel pressure's off. God's going to do this. He's just asking us to say yes. And so it says that he was going to make Abraham's name great. And in the Old Testament, names speak of nature. You see, the Lord can even change our very nature. You know, the scripture in 2 Corinthians 5.17, it says, Therefore, if any man, any man, any man, be in Christ he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, take a look at it. All things are new. And this is what the Lord wants to do with us today. In verse 3, it says, and I will bless them that bless you and curse him that curses you. And in you shall all families of the earth be blessed. Why was that? It was historically because Jesus was going to be birthed through his line. But that's interesting because I believe when we say, Lord, I want to live a life that's set apart. When I uh, separate myself out from those things from the past and I begin to press forward and I am conscious that I am the temple of the Holy Spirit and that we begin to walk in that, I believe we birth Jesus in our midst. I believe that we become those vessels, those carriers of his very presence. And so we see in verse 4 that his journey begins. Look at this. You know, again, I like the scriptures because they're not nice and neat. You, You want to say, well, no doubt Abraham was perfect and everything just worked out a okay, And he did exactly what God said. No, that's not what happens. It says, so Abram departed as the Lord had spoken to him, so good job. But then there's an and, and Lot went with him. Remember, Lot wasn't supposed to go with him, because the Lord said, leave it all behind. And it says, and Abram was 75 years old when he departed out of Haran. So Abraham didn't quite obey the original call to leave his father's house and his uh, family behind, the whole thing. Why? Because Lot was his nephew, and so Lot was still with him, and again, this is not about families. Don't walk away from here saying, you know, Pastor Nina's saying, leave your family behind. It's all in type. It's saying there's those things. Think about it. Lot was his nephew, the son of a dead brother. You see, sometimes on our walk, or I'm going to say all the time on our walk in God, when we get saved, We have some fruit of dead things that come along with us initially. We understand the goal when we get saved, but we know also that all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so we've got some lots hanging around with us. And so we proceed from there. So we get saved just like Abraham starts the journey But we also bring along possibly some sons of dead things. And so in verse 5, it says, And Abram took Sarah, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their substance that they had gathered, and the souls that they had gotten in Haran, and they went forth to go into the land of Canaan. That was the promised place. And into the land of Canaan they came, and Abram passed through the land to the place of Sycambe, to the plain of Morah, and the Canaanite was then in the land. The Canaanite, though the land of Canaan was the promised place, there were still enemy occupants there. And so the enemy occupant was in the place that Abraham is called to go. That's our life. God says, I have a place for you to go. But when we get there, it's not all easy and good. There's different things that are going along. And then we also bring along the lots with us. So it's kind of a recipe for some possible trouble. But it's interesting because he brings them to the plane of mora. And this word mora means teacher. You see, the Lord is so patient with us. And he teaches us as we walk along with him. And we come to a place, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and we learn from it all. And I believe that's the place that we're at prophetically, even this morning, that we are in a place where we've had experiences, the good, the bad, the all sorts of things. We've made mistakes. We've done good things, all of it. And God has brought us to the plain of Morah. And he says, there's something I'm going to show you here. And so in verse seven, it says, and the Lord appeared to Abram and said to your seed, will I give this land? And there built he an altar to the Lord who appeared to him. Interesting. He didn't say, Abram, I'm just giving it to you. He's saying there's something inside of you that's going to possess this thing. I think that's the voice of the Lord to us today. He's saying there's something inside of you that's great. And you're going to have that greatness inherit that which I've promised to you. And so it says in verse 8 that he removed from there to a mountain on the east of Bethel, or Bethel, I'm used to the church, and pitched his tent having Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. You see, he pitched a tent. Think about this. Because we need to pitch temporary dwellings. Because that which God did yesterday is not the same thing that he's going to do today. And so he says, don't camp anywhere. You know, you're just camping for a little while, so pitch a tent. So it's a temporary thing. But look at this. Not only do we need to understand that we're going to move on, that there's another place. Look where he's located. He's between uh, Bethel, which means house of God, and Hei, which means a heap of ruins. I'm telling you, this is where our walk takes place. You know, we're somewhere between there. We're either in the presence of God, we're in a heap of ruin, or we're somewhere in between. You know, getting close to the heap of ruin, not moving towards the house of God. You see, we've got to, and I love this, Abraham had to build an altar. You see, we've got to get it out of our minds that we're only going to do this thing when we kind of work on our own selves and we get clean and holy enough to, you know, maybe say, okay, now I'll do this. No, he's saying wherever you are between Bethel and Hei, you're one step away from Hai, that's okay, build an altar. Because I'm going to do something in that place. And so it says in verse 9, it says, And Abram journeyed on. It says, going on still toward the south. You see, he didn't know where he was going. But he said, I'm going to keep on going. I don't know the end. It tells us in the book of Hebrews that he was looking for a city whose builder and maker was God but he didn't exactly know what that was. Do we exactly know what that was? Is? No, not really. I mean, we've got the word. We're looking at that, but we've got to understand we're going on still wherever you're at. I don't want you to discount this because in your own spirit, you say, I am in a heap of ruin. No, God's about to come in a powerful way. And Abram did this journey. He kept on going on. And today is the day where we're going to move on forward. And then in the next verses, we see something very unusual. You see, the Lord just doesn't haphazardly write the scriptures. There's a purpose for everything. Sometimes it can seem like, you know, what? Is, is God just off track here? Like, I thought we were talking about Abram's journey. And now all of a sudden, there's this other weird little story that goes in. But No. We've got to understand this because this is exactly in the process of what he wants us to understand in terms of pressing into this life of being set apart. And so we see in these verses, the next verses, that Abram, there's a really weird thing, he denies that Sarah is his wife. This is such an important part of the story, and it holds such great revelation for us. It's part of us understanding our value and purpose. Remember that scripture that we read at the beginning. You've got to possess your vessel in sanctification and honor. You can't have the sanctification if you don't have the honor. And so Abram had to go through this. Why, Abram, did you bring the son of a dead thing with you? Why did you bring Lot with you? Well... We're going to find out here because there was a misunderstanding in his mind of who he even was. God wants to give us an understanding of who we really are. And so in Genesis 12, verse 10, it says, and there was a famine in the land. And Abram went down into Egypt to sojourn there for the famine was grievous in the land. You see, God sends famines to test us. Why? Because it's in those seasons, I believe, that we begin to cry out for a fresh positioning. When everything is just going great, we're just happy as clams. But God says, well, if you could see what I could see, you shouldn't be as happy as a clam. So here comes the famine. They're vital to us. They're vital to us in stepping into a life of significance. The difficulties are the things that become the crucible that changes us. And it's the thing that begins to cause us to set boundaries. It's the thing that begins to cause us to know our purpose. And verse 11, and it came to pass when he was come near to enter into Egypt that he said to Sarah, his wife, Behold now, I know that you're a fair woman or a good looking woman to look on." And this is really interesting because the promise was that they would have children and the children that they would have would become a great nation and actually the entire earth would be blessed by this. So here he is. I mean, that was going to be a miracle because they'd never been able to have children. And Sarah is already over 65 years old. I mean, they were walking in miracle ground. But isn't this interesting? I mean, think about this story. There was already the miracle at work. She's 65, and he's so concerned about her tremendously good looks that he says, we're going to have to concoct a story. Because as soon as I show up with you, somebody's going to kill me because they're going to want you. I mean, think about it, right? And so they come up with this idea. And it says in verse 12, therefore, it shall come to pass when the Egyptians shall see you that they'll say, this is his wife and they will kill me, but they will save you alive. Okay. Sarah, I'm asking you, tell them you're my sister, that it may be well with me for your sake and my soul shall live because of you. So he's saying, let's live as brother and sister. You see, that very thing, the misunderstanding of who they really were was going to prevent the very promise of God in their life. God wants to bring into clarity who you really are. Because if we go around saying, I'm the sister and not the wife, that we're going to find that we're not able to bring forth all that the Lord would have us bring forth. We have to be careful that we're not living a lie, that we're not concocting a story, that we're not showing up on a Sunday looking one way, but the rest of the week we say, go ahead and be in agreement with me. I'm not the wife, I'm the sister. You see, God wants to show us who we really are. Verse 14, and it came to pass that when Abram was come into Egypt, the Egyptians beheld the woman, that she was very fair. She really was. She was a knockout. The princes, the highest levels, also of Pharaoh saw her and commended her before Pharaoh. And the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house, and he treated Abram well for her sake. And he had sheep and oxen and he-asses and men-servants and maidservants and she-asses and camels. You see, it's not always us who suffer when we deny who we really are in God. And when we don't live a sanctified, set-apart life. We may find ourselves full of so-called blessings... You know, this reminds me so much of the story of Gideon. How the whole enemy army, I mean, Gideon's sitting there going, You know, I'm a nobody. I'll just hide here by the the press over here. I hope nobody sees me. This is a bad time. But the Lord calls him, Oh, you mighty man of God. But then we discover later on in the story that the enemy is greatly afraid of them. I mean, if we could understand who we really are... That the enemy is afraid of us, but you see, the Canaanite is living in the land, kind of giving us certain hints. Go ahead. It could be dangerous for you to be who you really are. Go ahead and bring it down a notch. You're the sister and not the wife. You're the brother and not the husband. But God would have us to be who we are in this hour. It's part of the honor that goes with sanctification. It's part of understanding who we are. And so it's not us, maybe, who's suffering. And it says, verse 17, And the Lord plagued pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of sarah abram's wife it's those around us who are suffering and so we need to ask ourselves who's suffering because i'm not really who i'm supposed to be because i'm not walking to the fullness of the stature that god has called me to And it says in Pharaoh, verse 18, And Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this that you have done to me? Why didn't you tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she's my sister? So I might have taken her for my wife. Now, therefore, behold, take your wife. Take her and go your way. I'm telling you, the spirit of the earth is crying out. Romans chapter 8 tells us. It says the whole creation is groaning and travailing that there might be a people, a manifestation of the sons of God. I believe the earth may not fully be able to articulate it. But if you listen carefully to the troubles that are out there, I believe they're saying, go ahead and take your wife and be who you're supposed to be. Let the church arise. Let us arise into the fullness of what God has called us to. And so now we're going to see the key to the word that I'm bringing you today. And it's in Genesis 13. And we see now Now that he knows who he is, and there's so much more to this story. He actually denies her a second time, but we won't go into that. But he finally gets it. But Genesis 13, we see the need now for Abram and Lot to separate. You see, this is an important word for every single one of us in this hour. Every single one. This is the prophetic word for you today. Genesis 13, verse 1, and Abram went up out of Egypt, he and his wife, and all that he had, and Lot with him into the south. So he's finished the test of who he really was. I'm Sarah's husband, called to bring forth a son and a nation, but he still has Lot with him. He has that son of a dead thing with him. And what's so interesting about this, and I, I want you to picture this, if I was dramatic, I would display it for you, but I'm not. <laughs> Maybe I'm a little dramatic, I don't know. <laughs> but the name Lot means a veil, like, you know, a veil that would cover. It. Actually, a better definition of the name Lot is a blindfold. And, you know, I told Rick this morning, I said, I've got a name for this sermon. It's called Take Off the Blindfold. That there are things we bring along with us. We think they're friends of ours. We think they're things that we like to do. And it goes along with us being the sister or the brother instead of the wife or the husband. But we think these things are good. Oh, I'm really comfortable with Lot. Lot is really great. Lot is really good. But God is saying, he's a blindfold. You don't see what I've called you to see when you've got Lot with you. If I had a blindfold, I'd put it on right now and I'd rip it off. Because... You know what? We've got to see in this hour. We've got to be like Moses in this hour. We've got to be people whose eyes do not dim in this hour. But he's still got lot. When we're not sanctified, when we are not set apart, when we've not fully set the boundaries, then we're suffering also from not being able to see fully and clearly. And verse 2 Of chapter 13, it says, And Abram was very rich in cattle in silver and in gold. And he went on his journeys from the south, even to Bethel, to the place where his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and Hai. Again, between the house of God and the heap of ruins. You see, the Lord is calling us to go back to that place. And you know where that place is. To deal with some things that we would begin to say, you know what? I can't proceed on to that city whose builder and maker is God until I go back and discover these things. And it says, go back to the place of the altar which he had made there at the first. And there Abram called on the name of the Lord. And Lot also which went with Abram had flocks and herds and tents. You know when we bring the son of dead things along with us, they multiply too. When we get saved and we've still got some stuff with us, well, there's not much that God's done in our life yet, meaning there, there's not a lot of things occupying. We just know we believe in Jesus. But as we mature in the Lord, that which is of the spirit begins to multiply. But when we've got lots still in our life, he's multiplying too. And so we see that all of a sudden the Lord is saying, the lamb's not able to bear you both. You can no longer dwell together for your substance is great and you cannot dwell together together. You see, there's no more room to sustain it. Do you sense that in the spirit, that that which God wants to do, the breakthrough that he wants to do in your life, it's that there's some other things that are occupying some place. And the Lord is saying, today is the day. Take off the blindfold. Get rid of the thing that has caused you not to see. And so it says, There was a strife, and I believe the Lord's going to show you what the lots are in your life. They're different for all of us. It can be the way we talk about things. It can be habits from our past. You know, it can be, you know, you know them all. And there was a strife between the herdmen of Abram's cattle and the herdmen of Lot's cattle. And the Canaanite and the Perizzite dwelled in the land. You see, both Abraham and Lot are within us. Both are multiplying. And the enemy is in the midst of that. He's using that multiplication until we get rid of the things associated with Lot. The Canaanite and the parasite is going to have a field day. So in order to move on, there has to be that separation. There has to be the getting rid of the blindfold. And so we see in verse 8 that Abram said to Lot... Let there be no strife, I pray you, between me and you, and between my herdmen and your herdmen. Is not the whole land before you? Separate yourself, I pray you, from me. If you'll take the left hand, then I will go to the right. Or if you depart to the right hand, then I'll go to the left. You see, whatever it takes to separate. Abram didn't give these rules of, well... You know, I'll get rid of that if everything works out the way I'd like to see it working out. He said, no, this thing is so important that I will do whatever it takes. Lot, what's it going to take to get out of my life? Well, if you get out now, you take that. That's fine. I'll take this. Oh, no, you want this? That's fine. I'll take that. Because we have a faith, even if you think... That there's no way you can get rid of certain things. I want you to know that God is coming today. And he says, I will make of you a great nation. I will do it in your midst. And it says, Lot lifted up his eyes and he beheld all the plain of Jordan. That it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed it. Sodom and Gomorrah, even as the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as you come to Zohar. You see, Lot was in total confusion. Confusion is part of our life with Lot. He couldn't even discern, is this Egypt or is this the garden of the Lord? Because there's blindness. And it says in verse 11, it says, then Lot chose him all the plain of Jordan and Lot journeyed east and they separated themselves the one from the other. Abram dwelled in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelled in the cities of the plain. And he pitched his tent toward Sodom. But the men of Sodom were wicked and sinners before the Lord exceedingly. But now look at this. And the Lord said to Abram, I didn't write this, God did. After that, Lot. Was separated from him. Let me read that again. And the Lord said to Abram. After that lot was separated from him. Lift up now your eyes. And look from the place where you are northward and southward. And eastward and westward. Lift up now your eyes. Because fresh vision comes to us. And we say, Lord, would you work this work in my life? Would you do the work of separation? Would you cause Lot to leave? Whatever the cost. Whatever the cost. Because, Lord, I want the blindfold gone in this hour. So that I can be as a Moses whose eyes do not grow dim. I don't want anything masking what I can see into spiritual places. For the Lord said to Abram, for all the land which you see, you've got to be able to see. To you will I give it. And to you and to your seed forever. Because we can possess our vision. But first, we have to get rid of the blindfold. I want to ask the altar workers to come forward. You know, first off, if you don't know the Lord... When we begin to pray, I want you to come forward and these wonderful altar workers will pray with you to receive the Lord because you can't see anything without knowing the Lord. But I also want to open up the altars for those of you who feel like I've not been able to fully see. I want the blindfold gone. Maybe you feel like I've been acting like the sister or the brother instead of the wife or the husband. I want you to come forward and we're going to pray with you because God is going to help you to understand who you really are because today the blindfolds are coming off. Today is the day to get rid of the lots. No matter how long he's been dragged along with you, today is the day. Hebrews 12, verse 1 and 2, it says, wherefore, seeing. We also are compassed or surrounded about with so great a cloud of witnesses. You see, Abraham is one of those witnesses. He got rid of Lot. We can too.
1: Let us lay
0: aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking, looking, looking to Jesus, the author. And the finisher of our faith.